0: Romans chapter 1 verse 8 to 15 First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you for I long to see you in order that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me now I don't want you to be unaware brethren that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians both to wise and to unwise so as much as is in me so as much as is in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also I'm sure the Lord laid his blessing to that Portion of his truth, as you can see, we've uh, gone into a different section uh, in this first chapter uh, of the epistle to the Romans. And um, what I like about Paul, uh, as he sits down to write this uh, this epistle, is that he isn't just writing um, a theological essay. do you do any essays in college, Al? Yeah. I done four. I should have done eighteen, but I done four. I owe one? Fourteen, and and you know they're not very sort of exciting, are they? Uh, theological essays, you know. And uh, Paul isn't sitting down to write an essay on doctrine or anything. You know, this letter wasn't intended to become a dusty old tome set to uh, sit on undisturbed on some bookshop of or books book uh, case in some library. In some big house in England. That's not what Paul was about. I like the personal touch that he puts into uh, his letters. And I like this part of the letter because it seems to be very personal. That he's speaking to them on a personal level. In fact, all of his epistles, uh, he always takes time to be personal. You know, I've often said when when you study the book of Galatians that uh, he wants to get on with his subject He's got a, a burning uh, subject in his heart And he wants it to be out there uh, Amongst the Galatians So that they know where they were going wrong So that they could come back To the place where they were He wanted to get straight to the point But you notice that it's a personal rebuke That he gives to them Not a theological thing Or an academic thing It's a personal rebuke You know when we're dealing with real life when it comes to the doctrine of the scriptures. You know all the lessons that we learn. As we come here each Thursday. As we come on a Sunday morning. As we come on a Tuesday night. As we come on a Sunday night. All the lessons we learn from the scriptures. Have been hammered out on the anvil of experience. And they haven't been thought out in some classroom. Or there's some academic uh, edifice. They are Personal. Paul is personal you know he wants to introduce us to a personal God that's why I love to to read these letters and love to study them you know he takes time to say things set to encourage his readers you know he's a great encourager uh, of the saints he says things that assures them of his concern of his affection of his desire to see them of his desire to inspire them of his desire to impart unto them things that he sees necessary for them to grow in the things of God you are know, nothing is more disarming I think than to you the content of his prayers Paul was a prayer we know that there's so many of his prayers that are scattered throughout the whole of the New Testament you know, and you is one that is uh, up there with the best they, they are added to look at the context of his prayers is, is wonderful and encouraging and challenging for us as we spend time in this place tonight. You see, Paul, when you think of his situation, he was in a very delicate position with these uh, Roman Christians. He never seen them, never spoke to them face to face. He would have passed them on the street and not known them but they would have heard of him they would have definitely heard about him you see he had a reputation in fact he had two reputations you know when you're a a good few hundred miles away from the the center of Paul's activity you know these two reputations that that come with travelers and uh, and merchants about this man called Paul in the Middle East they would have brought some kind of uh, confusing message to the Christians who are in Rome. Because there were some good things that they would have heard about him, and yet there was also some things that were not so good. Here they have a letter of him. You know, and they known him to be a notorious persecutor of the church. They've known him to be a blasphemer of of Jesus Christ. They've known him to be a violent or an insolent man. You know, these are not my words. These are actually his words. But then on the other hand, they would have viewed something completely different. They would have viewed a different side of his reputation as he comes to faith. You know that great moment on the road to Damascus when faith was born in his heart and he became a new creature in Christ Jesus because he'd met with and trusted in the risen Christ. You know and um, this different reputation would have come along the grapevine and they would have heard that he was the apostle to the Gentiles and so the questions would come why haven't you been to see them? You know know we are. Why haven't we been to see them? You know, he's been as close to them as Corinth. And yet he's never popped over to see them. Never come in to, to share fellowship with them. Never come to give them a word. Why, Paul? So there are three sort of strings or strands of reputation that are flying around in this uh, Roman church the persecutor, the convert, the apostle. And all the questions would be spinning around in their heads. And so Paul sits down and he pens a personal introduction to them. An introduction that ensured them of his deep personal interest in them as they continually occupy his heart and his prayers. And notice how he he starts off, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, you know what there is nothing that endears one Christian to another than to, more than to know that he is remembered by him before the throne of grace, to know that someone 's praying, to know that someone's holding you up before the throne, to know that someone has mentioned your name at this highest of thrones it's a wonderful encouragement to us. you want know, it endears people. And warms people to think that someone is praying for me. You know, whatever circumstance we're in, whether we're going through illness or whether we are going through great times, to know that someone is praying for me. You know, well, each time Pauline comes home on a Monday night, she tells me, we've prayed for you tonight. And it's a, it's a marvelous feeling. It's a wonderful feeling. To know that fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, are actually holding you up before the throne of grace. So how such an admission would have warmed the hearts of these Romans and drawn them closer to his words. You know when you listen to someone who takes time to represent you before the Father's holy throne. So he's... He's got a master stroke here. You know that, yeah, over the, the, the sort of the hundreds of miles that lay between them. could be so many barriers. And then thinking, what right has he got? Who do we think he is? He can't even spend the time and come here. He sends us a letter. And we put it to one side. But this introduction has made sure that these people would think this man loves us. This man has a concern for us. This man holds us up before the throne of grace and prayer. This man is worth listening to. You know, and let's spend uh, some time tonight learning from this man, this man Paul, as to this thing called prayer. Because it seems to be a prayer, this passage, this part of uh, the book of Romans. And this is what he says, first you know we're only going to do the first uh, sentence uh, tonight and uh, perhaps we'll go through it a little more next week but this is what he says first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world first I thank God or I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world first, the Greek word there is the word proto which means first in order of priority and Paul is setting down I believe um, an order of priorities when he sees, when he thinks about these people that he would love to teach, that he would love to meet, that he would love to impart some spiritual gift to, you know on the first note to be struck uh, in this prayer is one of praise I thank my God I thank my God you know it seems to take precedence over request. so often we come to the Lord with our requests but here Paul is, is showing us that the first note to be struck in prayer is one of praise and I've got to be honest oh, I love uh, a Sunday morning when we spend time here in Emmanuel giving thanks to God for his great provision to us. You know, and it's, it's difficult sometimes. I know that as I've listened, and I can talk freely because Joyce is not here, but Joyce finds it very difficult to just thank God for what he's done. You know, and I listen to the prayers, and each, pe- each person who gets up on a Sunday morning will give thanks to God and glorify his name and thank him for the blood and for the cross and for his love and for his grace and then they will sit down and then Joyce will get up and she'll go halfway, and then she'll start requesting things you know it's a difficult thing for us as you know especially for people like Joyce who've spent their whole life uh, in prayer she is um, I would consider consider her to be a, a prayer warrior and, uh, in her lifetime and she's always been used to asking you know, So this Sunday morning stuff When the pastor says Let's just give thanks It's alien to her But I love it I love sitting here And listening to men and women Giving thanks to God Thanking Him for the cross Thanking Him for the blood Thanking Him for His love Thanking Him for His grace You know yes there are times Where we make requests there are times when something uh, important or out of the ordinary has come our way and I will ask people to make a request before God but you see it's in the context of worship it's in the context of praise it's in the context of giving thanks just for that one moment in our busy lives in our Christian lives in our worship experience you and I are found not asking not requesting, not petitioning, not interceding even, but simply thanking. You know, and here is uh, Paul showing us that it is the, um, the first thing in order of priority. That when we come before the Lord, we come with thanks. You know, of course, you know, if we study Paul, and if you've studied anything of Paul, you will know that this is his normal practice. Be anxious for nothing, he says but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus yes there's request yes there's petition yes there's intercession but with thanksgiving with thanksgiving of course uh, uh, we've learnt that from the Psalms we've sung the song tonight Enter into his gates with thanksgiving And into his courts with praise Be thankful unto him And bless his holy name Of course we've learnt it from the Psalms That God is worthy to be praised God is worthy to be thanked And adored. We sing that song so much I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart I will enter his courts with praise you know, that's where we start that's our entry point that's our start you know, and always remember that God has already given us more than we deserve He's given us more than we could ever ever earn or merit and in fact, that psalm if we were to go and read the whole psalm Psalm 100 we could see that it contains no request or petition at all It is just a a simple, fervent expression of grateful joy and of praise and of thanksgiving to God. You know, certainly prayer is about asking. I don't agree with these people who say that prayer is not about asking God for stuff. Because Jesus tells us, ask and you will receive. Don't you know that God knows what you need before you ask? But ask! He says in one place that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him for Him. You know, there's a, there is a, an asking in prayer. There is petition. And Jesus tells us that. But this is how we start, surely. This is where we begin with our prayers, with praise, with thanksgiving, and with gratitude for the blessings of the past. You know, when we could sit here on a Thursday night, And when prayer time comes along, you know, our minds could be full of the things that God has done for us, has saved us from, has brought us into, has accomplished in our lives. You know, we could spend sort of hours thanking God for His goodness and His mercy that follows us every day of our lives. And notice, secondly, how Paul addresses the one that he is thankful to. He says, I thank my God. My, how personal can, can you get? I thank my God. See, Paul doesn't know a God who is remote and abstract, but remains aloof and unknowable. Do you know, so many people talk about such a God as if he's just some uh, notion or some unknowable figure in some distant setting you know it's it's very sad and as you know I've been uh, doing quite a number of funerals uh, during this year and it's very sad to hear people talking about God to me because they've got no idea who they're talking about he is some notion that they've heard of you know and they come with their uh, very sentimental poems about God they haven't thought about him before They haven't got to know him before. He's just something or someone that is so remote from them that he has no impact upon their lives until such a a sad time as they are going through. But with Paul, (coughs) Paul has a living, personal relationship with God. You know, when you see those words, I thank my God, there is a covenant feeling about this too, a covenant feeling and you know that's the same with us He is our God and there is a covenant feeling in the way that we relate to Him why? because He has made a covenant with us He has come down and He's made a covenant with us a covenant that has been cut a covenant that has been sealed with the blood of His dear Son a covenant of love a covenant of grace a covenant of peace and of joy A covenant of knowing him. I thank God for the position that I find myself in. That when I talk about God, I'm not talking about an abstract concept over there. Or someone remote in some uh, inaccessible place. I'm talking about someone who lives within. Dwells within me. Who walks with me. Who talks with me. That's who I'm talking about. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about someone that he knows personally. No, he's, um, uh, he elaborates in 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he talks of the bond that he has with God in such cherished terms of covenant relationship. He says, for you are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here is the God that Paul is serving. And I thank God I know him because he's the one that I know as well. He has made himself known to me are on such personal terms. And who would ever forget the lyrics of the song of Moses as he stood on the banks of the Red Sea. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He's my God. My God. And I will praise him. He's my Father's God. And I will Exalt him. You see, Paul had made himself known to God. Uh, God has made himself known, sorry, to Paul. You know, when I was thinking about Paul, saying those words, I thank my God. Do you know, Paul once served a God he didn't really know. He didn't really understand. He served a God that he couldn't relate to. In any way, shape, or form, yes, he obeyed the rules. Yes, he carried out the rites and the ceremonies, and he did all the things that God had impressed upon him to do through the uh, the Old Testament. But he was never, never had a relationship with Him. God wasn't real to him, like He is to you. And just as with many in society. God isn't real to people. You know, of course, the, the problems that we are facing, that we prayed about uh, tonight the, in, the, in this world, at this time, seem to make God even more remote for most people. You know, for them, if we were to ask uh, in the community today uh, what they think of God, they would probably tell us that He is the reason to fight and to kill innocent people. He is a, a type of person who would ex- uh, wield extreme power. You know what? the some who listen to certain programs. He's the one to accrue riches. A God most people would be turned away from. You know, and that's what we are experiencing uh, in our society today. We're experiencing uh, a society that has turned away from God. Been put off by Him. By the things that have gone on over these last 30 years or forty years turned away from him but to Paul this was his God this is the one that he'd come to know this is the one that he'd come to love love God how can you love God whom you can't see this, this is the one that he had come to love because this is the one who has made himself known to us through the coming in the flesh of his dear son the Lord Jesus Christ you know the the season of Christmas has snuck upon us again, taken us completely unawares. It will be our pleasure once we get over the, the the sort of the the fear of of Christmas coming upon us so soon. It will be our pleasure as we gather together in this place to worship the newborn King. Why? Because he has become knowable. He has made God knowable. He has made God touchable. He has made God human so we can understand him so we can know him what did uh, the pastor of Hebrews say but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death we see him now crowned with glory and honor in order that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone then he goes on and as then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who are the power of death, and that is the devil. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high like priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succour those who are being tempted. You know, to our relief and to our joy, God. The Almighty, the Sovereign, the One who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, He has made Himself visible. He has made Himself approachable. He has made Himself tangible in Christ. What an amazing God we serve. He's no longer that abstract notion, or our inaccessible person, or the unapproachable Deity, He has come as close, closer than our hands and our feet. He walks by the side of us. He sits closer than a brother. He knows us and He feels with us. And He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's how close my God has come to me. You know, and that brings us to the third thought tonight. And that is Paul's only ground. Of approach, how do you approach God? You want hear it? Is I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Through Jesus Christ. You know I've said already that God is a non-starter to the masses of humanity. I give you a challenge. Try seeing the invisible. Try approaching the unapproachable. Try relating to the immortal. It's impossible. To do that you know and even for us today those attributes of God are still the same he is still invisible he is still unapproachable he is still immortal he hasn't changed God hasn't changed one iota from his highly exalted position and nature you know we could call him with a hymnist ineffable ineffable someone too great or too extreme to be expressed or described in words and although like Paul God is my God yet he remains ineffably holy and pure how can I conscious of my impurities how can I conscious of my unworthiness ever think of approaching such an exalted infinite purity and here paul shows us the blessed answer to our request i have access in and through jesus christ you know paul is going to return to this thought uh, when we come to chapter 5 and that's why we started our service tonight reading the first 12 verses of chapter 5 of romans because this, this is the verse that i love so much therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom also through the lord jesus christ we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of god it's through christ it's in Christ. It's because of Christ. And could we ever think of coming any other way? Have we ever thought about coming any other way? Could we ever think that in and of ourselves, we are good enough? Could we ever think that we could ever earn the right to have an audience with such excellence? Could we ever think that God would ever lower His standards to accommodate us? You know, I think sometimes that even if... Christians who believe and know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour. Sometimes we are more comfortable coming to God in prayer if we've been more spiritual beforehand. If we've been to church as many times as we can. If we've read the Word more than normal. If we've prayed more than normal. If we've witnessed more than normal. We seem to have a a confidence that He's going to hear us because we've been spiritually good and then on the other hand we are sometimes uh, a little embarrassed as we come because we've missed church a few times we've missed coming before the throne of grace we've missed sitting down and reading his word, we've missed opportunities to witness and there's a little bit of embarrassment as we come before the throne of grace what does he think of us? what does he think of us? are we going to nerve to come before Him? You know, the truth is, we don't deserve this esteemed privilege of prayer, whatever we've done, or whatever we haven't done. It's a throne of grace. And we go through, not our own merit, but we go through Jesus Christ. This is what He says, I am the way. This is... uh, uh, what David told us in, uh, in his prayer tonight, or when we listened in in his prayer, uh-huh. "I am the way, the truth and the life. no one comes to the Father except through me, no one, not even Paul, not even the pastor of the biggest church in the world, not even Billy Graham, can come to God through anyone else except Through Jesus Christ. We know that there is just one mediator between God and man. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. You see, the throne of grace is not approached by the works of our righteousness. That we have done. But it's approached in the mediatorial ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, however good you feel. Or however bad you feel. You can only go to God through Christ. (coughs) And you know, when, when you go to God through Christ, however good you've been, or however bad you've been, God is going to listen because you've gone through Christ. And Christ always has his ear, always has the ear of God the Father. You know, what I'm going on, <coughs> we can see the subjects of Paul's thanksgiving, which becomes our fourth sort of stop off point. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all for you all just a simple point but sometimes the hardest you know we can get so wrapped up in our own little world whether it be our Christian world or not you know, we used to sing a chorus many years ago in Sunday school you in you a small corner and I in mine a lovely little chorus for the kids and uh, but I wonder, I might sound a little bit of a nitpicker but I wonder how much of the competitive spirit has been spawned because of such a sentiment perhaps not that actual song but that sentiment you, in you a small corner you in you a small corner those, in their small corner and we, in ours you Now we want Our church to grow. We want our ministry to expand. You know, and especially in this day and age, we want all these things, and we don't mind if it's at the expense of others. You know, when I was younger in the bush, the moving around to different churches was totally unheard of. I know it probably meant that you couldn't get to a church because there was no cars about then and Local churches were just that. Local churches. You know, and everybody that came to your church came because they walked there. And, you know, therefore, perhaps that's one of the, the reasons why moving about to different churches or going to bigger churches or better churches or churches with better music or better ministry. Those things never happened when I was younger. But today there seems to be a transfer market developing. Oh, he goes to such and such a church now. I thought he was over there. No, he's been to two places since he was over there. You know, there's such a moving about of of men and women, moving about different churches. And some are being enticed to move to different places in the kingdom. Why? Because we want our church to grow. We want our ministry to expand. We want our building to be extended. For our name to be put forward. But here Paul shows us that it's just one kingdom that is being built. He was in Jerusalem, they were in Rome. A big difference. But he thanked God for them all. Why? Because there's just one kingdom that is being built. And it's not mine. And it's not the church down the road. There's only one church that will populate heaven. And it's not ours. And it's not theirs. It's Christ's. It's Christ's. And Paul understood this. You know, this is a difficult thing uh, sometimes to, to grab hold of. Because, yes, there is a desire to see this place filled. David said in his prayer again that this all he seeks to be filled. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But Paul says, "I thank God for you all. For you all, there are other churches in this valley. Am I so fervent in praying for them as well? You know what? I must confess, I'm not, because I want this church to be filled. I want this ministry to expand. I want this building to be extended. You know what? Uh, it is a, a difficult thing. You know, these saints in Rome, he never met them. They came to faith through someone else's ministry." Yet he praises God for them all because of what God had wrought in their, in their lives. He thanked God for them all because of what God was doing in their church. They were in Christ just as he was in Christ. They were part of the same body. You know, it's not always easy. But we know with Paul that that is the way. that, that is the way. That is the truth and we belong to one church with one head and one destiny yes we are different expressions of it but Paul thanked God for them all and that brings me to my final thought and that is the occasion of Paul's thanksgiving first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that you have faith is spoken of throughout the world. That your faith is spoken of throughout the world. You know, we, a, a number of years ago, we looked at the first chapter of the first book of Thessalonians. And Paul says something very similar there. You see what he says? For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaea, but also in every place. Paul was so thrilled that they had a reputation. They had a reputation there in Thessalonica. That they were proclaiming the word. The word there means booming it out. Booming it out. No one needed to go to Thessalonica to, to, to preach because the word was being boomed out by this church. And here, in, in the Roman church, no one had to put bal- bam, Placards up and saying we are Christians because their faith was being boomed out throughout the world they had a reputation a reputation of being faithful to God you know what a joy for any pastor and any church leadership to see those of the flock with such a grasp of what God has done for them and in them that they can't help but noise it Abroad. Gossip it abroad. Tell others of what God has done for me. I love that um, verse in Acts 8 where Paul is the villain. You know, he's not the the champion that we got in Romans chapter 1. He's the villain because he was the one who was persecuting the church. And this is what it says. As for Saul, he made havoc with the church entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to prison and the next verse says these words therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word you know you can't stop this thing called Christianity you can't thwart the purposes of God because the persecution of Paul that Saul wreaked uh, upon the, the, this fledgling church only serve to make it stronger and wider and bigger the word preach there means to gossip the word you know what i um, I think it's a, an art that uh, is probably is, is uh, practically lost among us we're we not gossiping the word anymore you know I believe it's the secret of growth it's the secret of church churches bursting at the seams you know great preaching in a church Is a must. You know, you've got to be able to come here and expect the person who is standing in the pulpit to preach the word of God. Otherwise, there's no point in coming. You know, I don't want to come and hear someone's opinion. I don't want to come here and hear the the modern thought or the now word of society. I want to come here and hear the word of God. I wouldn't come here otherwise. You know, as I'm preaching here on a Thursday night, I wouldn't expect you to come and listen to what I think. Because you can go anywhere and listen to people like me and tell you what they think. I, only, I would only come and I would only expect you to come if I preached from God's Word. Because here is the authority. Here is the hope. Here is the truth of who God is and what He has said. So preaching in a church is a must. Worship in a church is a must that we've come here not just to exchange notions and academia but we've come here to meet with God to sing His praises to worship Him to come before Him in prayer to thank Him and to glorify His name and to feel the blessing of being in His presence that's why we come we wouldn't come otherwise if this was a um, I was talking to a lady the other day and um, she goes to a church in Ponty somewhere and she said oh she said the word is great but she said there's no life there there's no feeling there there's no warmth there there's no joy there it's just this academic exercise that we're having I'm longing I'm longing to to sing something to God you know, of course we've come to worship the Lord we've come to pray we've come to our fellowship and what I mean by fellowship I mean by speaking with one another Loving one another. Talking things through with one another. It's great. You know, it would be awful if we came in and went out without any conduct. That's not what church is about. Church is about the Word. Church is about worship. Church is about fellowship. Church is about prayer. It all has to happen within these four walls. They're all indispensable. But without the gossiping of the Word, outside these four walls, then what goes in on within them falls in the ears of the converted only. You want know It's our responsibility as people who have received Christ as our Savior, who've come to know the God of the Scriptures, who own Him as our own, to know Him through Jesus Christ, to see His church being built in the way that He's doing it. It's down to us to spread that news abroad you know, when you look it's pointless preaching the gospel tonight because there's no one in the building that is unsaved but you will go out tomorrow and I will go out tomorrow and every other person that we brush shoulders with needs Jesus as a saviour you know and that's the responsibility that he's given to us that's the responsibility that Paul has shown us in this passage of scripture that we tell others that we gossip, that our faith is known outside these four walls. I think that's the most important thing of all. You know, Paul, uh, on the one hand, is a brilliant example to us. On the other hand, can become a pain in the neck because he challenges us so much, challenges me on so many levels with what he says and what he he did there in his tent. But he's a great example to us when it comes to encouragement. You know what, um, I for I one would like to be like him. Encouraging you and others in the faith. He's great, a, a, a great example when it comes to procedure. The way that we ought to live our lives. The things that we ought to put on the top of our priority list. The people we ought to be meeting with. The people that we ought to be speaking with. The subject that we ought to be. Bring in the practicalities. He's a great example in the practicalities of the Christian life. And none more so than hearing these verses. A personal prayer for these people. He doesn't know. He doesn't know them. But that didn't stop him. Didn't stop, oh, well, they got their pastors over there, they got their teachers over there. They can get on with it, i can get on with my little bit. But no, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world you know what he says to us tonight is so enlightening, enlightening so challenging and I would pray that we you and I would look again at what he does and what he says and how he acts so that we too can be as fruitful as he was You know, we are reading something that he wrote over 2,000 years ago. So he was fruitful. He has an authority. He's someone that needs to be listened to. And I pray that we would emulate him in so many different ways. That we would be the things to our society that he was to his.